0: and welcome to the Door County Pulse podcast. I'm Andrew Clyton, and I'm joined as always by Miles Danhausen. How's it going, Miles? It's going good, Andrew. So it is Saturday as we are recording this, Saturday, May 9th, and uh, I guess we'll just jump right into uh, COVID updates to start with. There was another positive case yesterday, so Door County is at 19 cases and three deaths. That case came in around five o'clock yesterday is when I saw the update, but staying kind of steady in that way. Usually these cases kind of update in cases of two or three, just one yesterday. So um, we have a bunch of things to talk about today. So first off, uh, you interviewed Jackson Parr about the J1 worker situation. We've talked a little bit about this over the last couple of weeks in terms of when J1 workers can come up. Everybody who has spent any time up here knows that the J1 workers are essential for businesses up here in order to Staff there uh, in order to keep a good staff and that kind of stuff. We've already seen COVID 19 affect the J1 worker situation uh, locally, including uh, Alpine's decision not to open for the season because they knew that they weren't going to be able to get adequate staffing at the right time. So we'll jump into that after this recording. But there's some other things that we can talk about too. Miles, do you have anything uh, right off the bat that you want to get into before we jump into some of the news this week?
1: Yeah, I think uh, one of the things that uh, everyone's been waiting for are those guidelines for local businesses and how how they should be expecting to operate once we do reopen. Obviously, there's a question as we're recording, we still don't have a decision from the Supreme Court on whether or not they're going to basically end Governor Evers' stay-at-home order. So right now that order goes through May 26th. And the Republican legislature would like to overturn that and basically at the end of his emergency powers, which would be May 11th, which would mean we'd be opening May 12th, I believe. And it might lead to like a kind of a free for all situation unless they have some other regulations in place at that time. But the state came back with some business guidelines for reopening Finally, the specifics that we've been talking about for, for weeks about every business wanting some specific guidelines, some knowledge about what they'll be expected to do, those are finally starting to come out. They broke it down by 15 different business sectors. So it gets re- really detailed, actually. But some of the general guidelines for businesses, it gives you some guidelines on how to handle cash transactions or re- transactions at cash registers. Um how to handle merchandise that customers have handled and how to set up an office using social distancing strategies. So some of those specific guidelines A general advice uh, about like making sure employees stay home when they're sick, curtailing business travel as much as possible, uh, promoting telecommuting ensuring employees have access to sanitizer and personal protective equipment when they need it. So, you know, in in a case like our office at The Pulse, we'd want, and we've already talked about this uh, internally, but we'd wanna make sure there's sanitizer at each entrance and we're fortunate. We only have one main entrance, but we'd wanna have that inside and outside the door at the kind of like lunch counter. We wanna make sure everyone's educated on wiping everything down whenever they would use those surfaces. In our case, it'd be people wiping down keyboards on a regular basis, their mouse, their phone, things like that, and then wearing masks, basically, whenever we're lucky, right? I mean, our office can generally be spaced more than six feet apart, right? We, Even, we can social distance pretty easily. Yeah, and it's it's a little, um, we're a social office, right? You know, people hang out around the bar, they, we have our meetings together in the conference room, but generally, we just stop doing some of those things. Right. Not every workplace is as fortunate as that. So, um, I mean, we probably have about as easy a situation as anybody except for somebody working by themselves. (laughs) Right. Yeah, and the, the guidelines for pretty much
0: across the board are what you would expect. You know, wash your hands, wear a mask, social distance. That kind of comes into play for most of the different industries that are included in these guidelines. Uh, we have a link to the guidelines on doorcountypulse.com. It's right on our homepage if you scroll down to our recent articles. Uh, things are laid out pretty well in these. It's not just a bullet point list. Um, each one is a PDF that you can open, and the, the guidelines are pretty extensive. So uh, if you have any any questions about what you should do for your business this year, that would be a great place to start. Speaking of guidelines, uh, in lieu of these guidelines, uh, before they came out, there were uh, businesses that opened last week. There are more businesses opening this weekend. Many of them are requiring masks. I mean, you see that across the country in places like Costco, uh, but there are some Door County businesses that are going to require masks from their customers this weekend. Miles, what's your what's your thought on the whole
1: mask requirement Well, I think, um, you know, like yesterday, I was down in Green Bay and I had to stop at a Costco to make pick up some stuff for my parents. Costco requires masks. Mandatory. Everyone went in. The store operated very well. (laughs) People did their social distancing. They had huge signs everywhere. They had markings where needed. They had friendly staff helping direct you to where to go. And yeah, it was a little different than normal, obviously, but... It all worked. And Costco seems to be making a ton of money. Um, so it's not killing their business. Um, and basically, I did not feel like my freedom was infringed upon by wearing a mask. And in fact, for me, I felt, you know what, even if I didn't think this was that big a deal, and I didn't think masks were mandatory, like it feels good to be one with everybody else and making sure everybody feels safe and at the same level in that store. You know, somebody right. else might be a lot more fearful or that 70-year-old might be very concerned and on edge. Like, you know, for us, for me at 41 and and you, Andrew, in your 20s, we're both very worried about this disease, but I, I would say both of us, our main concern is passing it on to somebody else who's vulnerable or, in your case, your child, in my case, my parents and my, my pregnant wife. But other people have faced this in a very real way. When you see the data, we can blow it off, but like when 15% of people get it in certain age groups, that and die. Like, that makes it a lot more real for those people. So, if we can do anything to make that anxiety level go down just a little bit, like, why wouldn't you do it? So, right.
0: Well, even beyond that, like, if you don't believe that you should wear a mask, if you think that this is overblown or it's a hoax or something like that, at the very least, you should be respectful to other people, right? If the majority Mm -hmm. of people are wearing masks, if we're doing it in order to keep each other safe, because again, wearing a mask, if somebody with COVID-19 sends a droplet your way and you're wearing a mask, there's a very low chance that your mask is going to prevent you from getting the disease. But if you are both wearing masks that protection rate goes way up. So it Mm -hmm. just makes sense for everyone to wear it. Even if you're not concerned about your own safety, you should at least be respectful of the safety of others, like at the very least. I saw a comic this morning that was like, it was the trolley problem, right? It was like a train is going down the tracks uh, and it's heading towards five grandmothers and you can pull the lever to save them, but you have to wear a mask. Do you do it? It's that sort of thing now where it's (laughs) like, you can at least put yourself in that mind frame where it's like, yeah, I may not believe it, in this, I may not fear for my own safety, but I can
1: at least be respectful of the people who do or the people who are more vulnerable. I mean, hockey players, when they switched to requiring masks on, on hockey players in the National Hockey League, they grandfathered in the existing players had the choice to not wear a mask if they didn't want to. And so some of those guys were still playing years and years later. And when you would see that, like, Yes, you, I guess you have the freedom and you feel like you can do more on the rink without the mask on, but I just watch that and go like, you're a freaking moron, right? Like, you have a high, like, it's not even, I guess it's not like that huge, super high risk, but like, when that puck just smoke you in the face, it does a lot of very bad damage to your face. <laughs> like, right. So, why would you just be like stubborn and go? Well, this is my freedom on the hockey rink, or this is my freedom out in public. It's like it's not really that big a deal. It doesn't change your life. It did not change my shopping experience yesterday. Um, yeah, but even we,
0: beyond that, like the hockey, the hockey example is a little a little different because if you don't wear a hockey mask only your safety is in jeopardy, right? right. Yep. It, it's not like you're endangering your other players by not wearing your mask. Yeah, so it's a, a little different. That's a great point. And I still think mask. it's stupid. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's like, it. You, you should be concerned about your own safety, number one. But more than anything, you should be concerned about the safety of others. Even if you've got people who are saying, I feel healthy, I don't need to wear a mask. There is a percentage of people that Get COVID-19 and do not present any symptoms at all, all, but pass it on to others. Like, you can be a carrier of the virus without actually getting sick. Um, And there's varying degrees of sickness. Not everybody presents the same symptoms. Uh, We had Dave Lee now on the podcast this week, and his symptoms were very different than a lot of the standard symptoms that you see out there. He had a hunch that he had COVID-19, but he wasn't able to confirm it until he got antibody tests. So even if you don't feel sick or you're sick, but you don't have these standard
1: symptoms, uh, you are still a risk to other people. Absolutely. And by the way, that hockey analogy I brought up, this is coming from a guy playing broomball, a very, very, very poor man's version of hockey. Um, took a stick to the face and lost a few teeth. So I've got experience in this matter. But the reason I didn't have a mask is because they didn't require them at that time. So I was like, okay, I guess it must be safe because they didn't require them in the league. Then I got smoked in the face and basically said, yeah, everybody should be wearing a mask. I have worn a face mask ever since. And I have advised every single person I know to do it because that has led to like what will end up being in my lifetime, something on the order of like $25,000 in dental bills. Um, Right. It's and that happened 20 some years ago. It's So in this case, that's just some minor tooth work versus well, and the, <laughs> the
0: last thing that I'll say on mask is that if you if you don't have a mask but you want one you want to wear a mask but you don't have one uh, there are options available to you so number one something is better than nothing if you've got a scarf that you can wrap around your face or a bandana or anything there are ways to make your own out of old t-shirts that you can find on YouTube there are also places in Door County to get them there are places that sell them I know Bayshore Outfitters is selling masks I know that F FLS Banners is making custom masks. That's where me and my wife got our masks from. There are groups of people sewing handmade masks together. There are places giving masks out for free. There are some stores that have masks available for you at the service counter. There are ways for you to get masks if you don't have one uh, beyond buying one online on a place like Etsy. Right. So something is better than nothing. And there are, there are avenues available for you to get a mask if you need one. Um, you can find people all over Facebook right now in the different Door County groups and different Door County businesses talking about where they're getting their masks and what masks they have available for the community as well.
1: Um, so another thing on this, I did talk to the folks at Base Ship. They are requiring masks of their employees. And same as what well, you just said, it's, it's not necessarily like they require an N95 because they were like, well, we had access to those, but we didn't feel right buying up hundreds of those when you hear about medical um, facilities not having them. So they were they're like, get that mask if you can. Otherwise, if you have a different sort of mask, a cloth covering, a bandana, um, they're requiring you do that at Bay Shipbuilding down in Sturgeon Bay. Um, And that's a six to 700 employee shop right now after the winter fleet clears out. Um, Deb Fitzgerald has an article in this week's Pulse that breaks down both sides of this issue from the standpoint of I don't want to say both sides, but a couple of different varying opinions, employees and employers and businesses who want everyone wearing masks, who want uh, to require that their their guests wear masks and that their customers wear masks, but then also talk to some people who think of that as like an infringement on freedom and they're not really required in their place of work. So she's got uh, a bunch of different opinions from around the county. And then, I mean, my take ultimately is like, I want the economy back up and running i want to see businesses back open i want to get back to a version of normal and i see masks as a quicker way to get there because um you know like that allows other people to feel more safe going out and whether or not you think that that whatever the increment of improvement or safety it gives you whether you think that's worth wearing a mask if you want the economy back You should want to wear them because it's going to give other people more confidence in going out and being part of that economy again. The longer people are afraid to do that, the longer such a significant portion of our population um, feels unsafe going into restaurants and shopping centers and parks. The longer it takes us to bounce back. So if you if you view this as an economic issue, if that's your number one priority over public health, which I would disagree with that, but but if that is your view, you should want. Everyone wearing masks to get us closer to it. So I, I just think that makes the most sense, um, right. and it's and it's not a battle that's worth fighting. It's like okay, let's get us back in businesses, and maybe we can find out if it really isn't that risky. The, the sooner we figure that out, the better it is for everybody on all sides. If it, it, we figure out a public health problem, we figure out an economic problem. I just I think it's a in all the things that we're that we're debating. That's a it's a really stupid one to add to the mix, in my opinion. Yeah, and I'm glad that you brought that up because there there
0: is a significant part of the population who are going to be, you know, less likely to go out, who are going to be less like until all of this is over, until there's a vaccine, it's always going to be in the back of people's minds, right? If you are a business owner who is not requiring masks for your staff, who is not following guidelines for social distancing, all that kind of stuff, I have a strong hunch that you're going to see economic implications for that this summer. Um, There's going like, if I had to choose between two restaurants to eat at, and I know that one of them is going to have my health interests in mind, that's the one that I'm going to go to. I'm not going to go to the one where it's business as usual, right? And we keep talking about getting back to normal, but I think that there is a better version of normal in the future. We've seen lots of different uh, effects of COVID-19 beyond the public health stuff so far, right? We've seen pollution decrease. We've seen Different parts of the country turning or closing roads and opening them up to just pedestrian traffic and bicycles. Uh, so we've we've kind of as a as a population moved a little bit closer to that more like clean, getting out, not relying on your car. We're moving in that direction right now because we have to in a lot of ways, or we have the ability to. That's the future that I want to see. Right? I, I want to see the the effects of this that we are able to like gleam as positive. I want to see those effects continue on. I don't want to go back to
1: normal. Right. (laughs) Um, you know, I, I just keep going back to all the examples we have of this too. It's like, if you want to golf at certain places, you got to wear a collared shirt. I don't, I basically don't even have collared shirts in my, (laughs) um, like polo shirts in my wardrobe, but if I want to golf somewhere, all right, I'm going to do that. And you know what? It's not going to put me out that much. If, um, if I want to go and work out at certain gyms, they're going to say don't bring your street shoes in here don't wear flip flops don't be an idiot they're like okay i'm going to wear gym shoes and i'm going to make sure they're clean so i don't drag dirt all over this place's facility like it's we do these kind of things all, aside, all the time out of respect for business owners and other users and we can do that here. So I'll get right. off my high horse on that. But <laughs> um, that,
0: I mean, that is a good point. If you believe in impersonal freedoms, uh, you should also believe in a business's right to deny service to anybody for non-discriminatory reasons. And if you, if you equate the two as equal things, then in the same way that you would be behind a restaurant denying somebody service for not wearing a shirt or shoes, you should also be in favor of them denying service to somebody who's not wearing a mask right now. I think, the th- I think that they go hand in hand. Let's move on <laughs> yeah that's uh I think that's enough about masks for for one day um, so another. Another side effect of everything that's going on right now. Uh, we, we talked last year about the Sister Bay shuttle bus that had been operating. Uh, that was really successful, that showed a lot of promise in a lot of different ways. I believe that last year was the first like full season of it. They had done some things before kind of like piloting the program. Uh, unfortunately, the Sister Bay shuttle bus is not going to operate this year. It makes a lot of sense why uh, that decision was made. Uh, but there are still plans of bringing it back in twenty twenty one correct that
1: is correct um yeah they're looking at the uncertainty of the budgets for every municipality right now and for the sister bay advancement association you're looking at the uncertainty of what you'd be allowed and how you would be able to operate that shuttle bus so you know if you normally have 16 people on that bus and now And that's your max capacity like what do you do to distance them and maybe you can carry five is it really worth running that and doing the expense especially when you know the demand may or may not be there this summer who knows what this summer's tourism season looks like so um they've delayed that it's not gone forever uh they, they they have every intention of bringing it back the following year but it's on a one-year hiatus, I would guess, is a, probably the best way to say it.
0: Yeah. And like I said, makes a lot of sense why they would come to the decision not to run it this year. Um, pretty hard to social distance inside a bus. Uh, I know that there are still public transit operating all over the place. My dad works for public transit, and uh, it's pretty challenging right now to keep people safe when you're trying to cram them onto a bus. But uh, I totally get it, and I look forward to seeing what the future of the shuttle has. Uh, You know, speaking of things that we talked about a lot last year, it's been pretty easy for me to focus pretty solely on COVID-19 right now and kind of forget about the other things that, that, that we have looking forward to. One thing that I think about a lot that I've totally forgotten about is the highway construction in Fish Creek. Right? Like, as we speak right now, can't travel from Fish Creek up to Sister Bay. You have to go around and do the detour, right? Um, correct the other thing that we talked about a lot last year were the water levels and the water levels are still high they didn't just magically go down I know that they weren't nearly as bad this year as some were predicting because of the winter that we had uh, but this has been kind of your uh, your interesting project that you've been keeping an eye on I know that you've been doing a lot of research on the water levels what do we have to look forward to this summer in terms of how high the water is going to be
1: <laughs> you know, it, it's still going up and it looks like those Army Corps of it- engineers predictions still you know last fall i think we were talking about being as much as 15 inches over over last summer's kind of near record high levels we don't know if it's going to hit that yet but they're definitely up again and then you can see all these municipalities taking pretty extreme measures to prepare for that um you know in one sense everyone's working dealing with covid-19 but on the other there's this this water level situation would really be a the big story probably right now but it's faded to the background in part because we're just not out and about that often. But take Ephraim, you have Anderson Dock, the Hardy Gallery there. They've put sandbags around that and concrete barriers there to um, dissipate wave action and hopefully protect that building as best as possible. They've put sandbags around the village hall in Ephraim, and then they have sandbags around the little marina uh, building. They also have installed riprap on the south end of town, um, but where the kind of the lowest point, Of the village where the highway comes closest to the water and they've just redid that highway last year just finished that big project but now they've put riprap in there to protect it not so much for like water flowing over it although that is an issue in a storm but mainly so that that wave action and water doesn't undermine that road and undermine the foundation of that road underneath it so a lot of steps being taken in from Town of Gibraltar's taking some steps to protect the the main pier at the town dock down there and some of the other facilities with right. some concrete blocks. I think people, if you go through Ephraim, they're doing the same thing at South Shore Pier where that pier is basically like just barely above water right now. Um, and then down in Sturgeon Bay, they're talking potentially seven hundred to a thousand to a million dollars in. Um, repairs and improvements to Sunset Park and Otumba Park due to the damage done by last fall's storm. And Mm. I mean, we've been lucky. We haven't had that major storm this spring um, that might have increased that damage. There's been some high wave action. There's been some um, damage to shorelines, but not nearly like what we saw last November. And hopefully from what I've, the people I've talked to, generally the storm action dies down May, June, July, and then it picks up again. You start getting those north winds, which are the the most um, damage causing in indoor county. That north and northwest wind kind of tends to hit our harbors the worst. So the fingers across that we just don't get anything like that in the next month or two. As as towns take some efforts to to kind of put some protective barriers up. But right, we'll be looking at that more. I'll be talking to some property owners over the next few days for next week just to see what everyone's doing because people are spending ten thousand, twenty thousand, fifty thousand dollars putting in those big riprap barriers to try and protect their property. Right. Uh, Last year, we put together a video that kind of showed the before
0: and after. Uh, We had a lot of great footage from 2018 of, like, say, aerials of Ephraim Beach and Whitefish Dunes and Fish Creek. And we were able to go out when the water levels were at their highest last year and get kind of comparison videos, too. So if you haven't seen that and you want to see just how high the water has gotten and just how much shoreline we've lost and there's some great aerials of the water like overtaking people's backyards and just flooding onto the highway in Ephraim during one of the storms. Uh, there, if you haven't seen that video and you want to check it out, you can see it on youtube.com slash Pulse on the DoorCountyPulse.com website. It's up on our Facebook as well. Uh, definitely check that out if you haven't seen it before. It was it was pretty wild to actually visually take into consideration how high the water has gotten, and even <laughs> just that year, right? Yeah. Um, and, and this is kind of incompatible comparison to, you know, a a decade ago when the water levels were at their lowest that they had been. So it's pretty wild to see like in your career as a journalist, you've covered the water levels at their lowest and at their highest.
1: Yep. And both of them caused
0: a pretty big panic. (laughs) Right. Well, I think that that's going to do it for us today, Miles. Uh, We're going to jump into your interview with Jackson Parr here shortly about the J1 worker situation. Uh, Thank you
1: so much for chatting with me. And I look forward to chatting with you again soon. Great talking, Andrew. Talk to you soon. All right. Joining us now on the podcast, Jackson Parr, our uh, erstwhile reporter working remotely. Jackson, thanks for joining us.
2: Yeah, thanks for having me back, Miles.
1: So you touched on uh, the, the J-1 program uh, in this week's issue. Why don't you explain to us when we talk about J-1s, a lot of people just say J-1s and or we just say like summer workers or foreign workers. But kind of explain the program that brings these J-1 students over to Door County to work here.
2: Yeah, so uh, the J-1 visa program um, is administered through the U.S. Department of State, and it's, it's really a diplomacy tool. Obviously, it has a pretty important work component, um, but the idea is uh, we're going to bring students from other countries to the United States to work and then travel a little bit. It's called technically the Summer Work Travel Program, and uh, really when those students go back to their countries, the idea is that they will have a more favorable view of the United States and, you know, basically just helping with diplomacy. So Door County has really taken advantage of the program because it's really beneficial for seasonal, for a seasonal workforce. These students typically come come in the summer. You know, they leave in the fall. Uh, they can usually work kind of in April to October, uh, which goes out of bounds of a lot of the uh, college students or high school students that have to go back to school. Right. Um, so it's, it's really been a, been a beneficial program for, for Door County. There's been about... Probably, if, if the projection is right, uh, more than 500 J-1 visa students work in Door County every year.
1: And then, like, the, in, in Door County, I would say, we, even though, like, these, these guys come and they work really hard. In my experience, when I had some working for me back in my restaurant days, you know, these guys would work. You know, they'd come in and clean the floors at Husby's for two hours in the morning. they'd go and work a restaurant shift and then they'd go work another restaurant shift at night just trying to make the most money they possibly could but they would also you know we've got like the bridges program that uh helps people get bikes and and introduces them to different aspects of the peninsula um they get a lot more you see a lot of people end up staying here and becoming business owners and becoming community members and and indoor county for the long haul uh through that program so it actually does um i'd say compared to some of the other places that do these programs like I, I think there's a great episode of this american life in which some of these j1 students came over and worked at like a, one of the overpass restaurants like along the highway in interstate highway in new jersey and they basically just get terrible housing and have to spend every day just sitting over an american highway not not exactly the same experience as door county um so what now we have like the covid 19 crisis. There are a lot of aspects of this crisis that impact this program. Um, What are you hearing from business owners you talk to and and people who administer these programs?
2: Yeah, so uh, in early March, the Department of State uh, put out a 60-day suspension on the program, basically just just putting a pause on it for 60 days. Um, And there hasn't really been an update on what they expect will happen with the program Uh, later this summer, you know, 60 days from early March is right about the time that we're recording this. So we would expect the State Department to come out with some, whether that's guidance for how to safely administer the program, um, if you are an employer or host, uh, or if it's a further suspension of the program. Um, we're still kind of waiting on that. But a lot of the hosts or sponsor organizations uh, that really work as the catalyst between bringing students over here, work with the employers, work with the State Department, um, they are you know, on track thinking of kind of a, early June to have students start coming over and working. Obviously, that's dependent on guidance from the State Department, but um, absent that guidance, a lot of these organizations are kind of moving forward with the understanding that at least some students will start arriving in uh, early June. And and business owners in Door County are also kind of operating with that understanding. Um, There is kind of an interesting question about, you know, if visitorship to Door County is is lower this season for a variety of reasons, uh, do you necessarily need the added workforce? And some business owners are still trying to, you know, navigate that question.
1: Yeah, that's got to be really confusing going into this summer. I mean, normally, you know, the Alpine Resort has already announced they will close in part because they need to bring their J1 students in maybe a little earlier than other businesses where they have to ramp up their whole operation from being closed all winter and they got to get the whole resort open. So they ultimately decided like the uncertainty of when they'd be able to open combined with the uncertainty of the J1 program made it almost impossible for them to plan. Others are holding out um, and maybe can plug and play a little bit more. Uh, I know there's, there's kind of like two ways people use these, right? You have like certain large employers who bring in a lot of these J1 students and they house them and that's their primary job, but then these students go out and get a secondary job somewhere else, or maybe they work a couple shifts a week at a restaurant or, um, or or a couple shifts cleaning rooms, something like that. That business takes advantage of the J-1 program, but doesn't have to do the recruitment and the housing of those those students. Um, so it really, you have those 500 um, J-1 students, but they might impact far more businesses than those 500. Um you actually got some data on how how they're broken down geographically, like where where these students end up working in Door County over the course of the season.
2: Yeah, so uh, in two thousand eighteen, um, there were there were about four hundred ninety four J one V students total. The vast majority, uh, nearly two hundred of them, were in Sister Bay, uh, and then Egg Harbor was a was second with about one hundred and thirty students. Um, and, but they, I mean, they are really widespread. I think in 2018, for the first time, Brussels had a couple, uh, Sturgeon Bay's seeing a lot of growth in the J1 program. Um, which, and one of the, one of the challenges with the program is it's often criticized as, uh, kind of importing foreign labor, uh, and displacing American workers. And it's going to be interesting to see how that narrative plays out, particularly when we have, you know, I think the report just came out, 14 plus percent unemployment. In um, Wisconsin obviously doesn't get away from that. They've had significant unemployment. Um, so is the argument that, you know, there are American workers out there to hire. Maybe we should do that instead of looking at this J-1 visa program. All that's kind of kind of be hashed out. It's, it's really all in a holding pattern until we hear more from the State Department, which should be, I mean, any day now, given that that 60-day suspension should be up right around now.
1: And, and that very debate that you talked about was something we saw play out on our Facebook page as soon as we posted the article about Alpine making the decision to close and how they mentioned the J-1 uncertainty plays into that. You had a lot of people say, well, they should just hire American. And I think in a perfect world, almost every employer up here would do that. Although I think a lot of us just, they, we like the benefits that we get from having these different cultures come to our country and the, these different viewpoints. But um, it's not as simple as just going out and recruiting them. I mean, there have been recruiting efforts over the years to try and bring in more American workers, and it just doesn't exist the same way that it used to. Um, 25 years ago, high school kids up here would work 80 hours a week and would be available most of that time, but the culture of high school and what's expected of a high school student has changed. So they're doing summer programs and camps and sports just take up a lot more the summer than it did, say, when I was growing up here. So combine that with the fact that there's about 500 fewer high school students in the county than there were back then so there's just less available kids to work less available college kids coming back then to work so it's not as simple as just saying let's hire american right they have to those americans have to be there to to hire maybe this year that's different
2: yeah yeah the program does have uh, kind of a requirement for employers and hosts to demonstrate that they you know tried to hire american and were unable to for whatever reason and there's you know there's criticism over you know what's the threshold for that uh it's Often self-reported, so um, but the program does technically have a mechanism to encourage employers to hire American. It's just, you know, a place like Door County that's so seasonal, challenging in a lot of ways.
1: How do you think it plays out if indeed you know there there is a fear that this program won't happen at all for a couple of reasons, right? The maybe maybe families from other countries don't want to send the students to the United States this year, just we've, we've been hit by COVID-19 harder than any other country. So they might just hesitate to do that. Um, but then we also just might not be allowing that kind of travel and allowing those students to come into the country. What if there is no J one program? How do you think it plays out and affects door County this summer?
2: Yeah. I mean, um, Radnick up at Raleigh's day who I spoke to, she, she often brings over about 25 J one B students, uh, to work at the resort in the summer. And, um, she essentially said, like, she's going to try to run as lean as possible. If, you know, the number of visitors are to Rowley's Bay or down, she won't need the workforce. She's already starting to kind of limit the uh, room services provided unless it's by request. So so she's kind of looking at how to uh, navigate through a lack of J-1 visa students. Um, But at the same time, she said she also said, you know, if I can get some – J-1s to come over it in end of July, I would still take them. Oh, yeah. um, so there's still kind of hope that J-1 visas will kind of roll along as they normally have. Um, I know we've been talking a lot about the State Department, and as you kind of alluded to, it's not totally up to the U.S. Department of State. I mean, there are other countries may not want to send their students to the United States for a variety of reasons. Families might not want to send their students to the United States for a variety of reasons. Uh, so, I mean, if the J-1 visa program doesn't happen this summer. I think businesses will be just forced to adapt. Anecdotally, having worked in the restaurant industry up here, I would say that there's not a single restaurant that would call themselves fully staffed in the <laughs> summer ever. Yeah. So it's a problem that they are maybe used to in a way. Uh, and again, if the you know, visitorship is down, perhaps we don't necessarily need the workforce to support the, the normal visitorship. Well, it, it'll be kind of an open question moving forward.
1: Well, Jackson, thanks for looking into it. I'm sure this won't be the last time we ask you to look into it because it's going to keep coming up and um, possibly be de- delayed again. So something we'll be watching in the weeks ahead. Thanks for joining us on the podcast again, Jackson. For sure. Thanks, Miles. Thank you so much for listening to the Door County Pulse podcast.
0: If you want to support us at The Pulse, check out doorcountypulse.com shop where you can get a weekly Pulse subscription, purchase some incredible Door County artwork from Pulse artist Ryan Miller, and much more. We hope you've enjoyed the Door County Pulse podcast, and we will see you next time.